Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Hey, good to have you guys at church. I hope you're glad to be here. Uh, it is an honor to have you on a not-so-sunny May morning, but uh, we're going to celebrate anyway with tacos after the service. If you didn't understand what I said in Spanish, because not all of us speak Spanish, uh, I actually would love to learn Tagalog because I know there's a lot of Filipino here, uh, Filipino people here as well. So uh, we'll celebrate all holidays, all people, any excuse to party and have food on the porch. That's just kind of what we do here at the Father's House. But hey, uh, thanks for coming so much. Uh, it is an honor to have you. And um, last week we started a brand new series and we're going to go into that a little bit deeper today. Uh, and we're calling this series Rooted. Somebody say Rooted. And uh, the reason we are calling this series Rooted is because that word defined means firmly established. Um, We believe that there are some things in our life, some practices, some habits, some mentalities that need to be deeply rooted in the things of God, firmly established in the things of God. I believe that God wants you to be a firmly established believer, someone who isn't a fair weather Christian that gets blown over if if, if the storm hits you or you get a diagnosis here or a layoff there or whatever the case might be in the world that we live in, it's broken and it's fallen. I believe that God wants to give you a faith that goes beyond every circumstance, every situation, any diagnosis, whatever you're walking through, that you could say, I am rooted in the things of God, I'm rooted in the house of God and in the principles of God, and I shall not be moved. And as as we're going to talk about in this series, and as you'll see every single week, those who are rooted will always produce fruit. I think God wants you to live a fruitful life. I really do. I'm not some, you know, big white tooth smile and prosperity preacher on TBN, but I believe that God wants us to be blessed. I I believe he wants us to live a fruitful life. Our jobs would be fruitful. Our families would be fruitful. Our finances would be fruitful. Our destiny would be fruitful, that we'd walk in the fruitfulness of God. But all of that is the byproduct of finding ourselves deeply rooted in the things of him. And so we're going to dive into that a little deeper today. If you were not here last week, I definitely want to encourage you to go back and check out the sermon at TFA church, sort of a foundational uh, layout of where we're going. And we talked about the condition of our hearts and how there's four different conditions mentioned in the Bible. We use the biblical analogy of dirt and uh, you were the dirt and I was the donkey, if you recall, but that means nothing if you weren't here. That just sounds really weird. So you should go back and listen to it uh, and it'll be good. But today we're going to dive into a second area that I believe we should be rooted. And uh, if you are the type to take notes, I'm going to give you a sermon title here, borrowed from the eccentric Elton John. Uh, we're calling this, I'm still standing. I'm still standing. Or if you have kids and you've watched the movie Sing, it's from Johnny the Gorilla, I'm still standing, okay? That resonated a lot more with people. That's cool. Uh, Let's pray. Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to gather together with believers here. Uh, And Lord, I pray that in these few moments that we have together, that you would do what you've promised by your word, that it would not be a man speaking on a stage and words that I've crafted or I've articulated, but This would be your word going out over this microphone and over the speakers and landing on good soil in people's hearts. Let it produce a harvest in us before we leave this place. Lord, I pray that we would not be the kind of believers that get blown over in bad situations, but that this would be a place, this would be a house, this would be a church that is known for strong, mature, firm foundation believers. We want to be those kinds of of followers of Jesus. And Lord, while I've got the church together since this worked last time, I, I offer it up again. Um, we pray right now for the Warriors. <laughs> Last night was absolutely tragic. And um, there's just no excuse, God. There's no excuse. And 
I pray whatever deep, dark, hidden sin exists in Steph Curry's life and Clay Thompson's life and Katie's life and whatever it was that caused them to not be able to make a shot last night, we pray that that curse would be broken in Jesus' name. And we'd see victory on Monday against the Houston Rockets. Amen. Okay. It worked last time, guys. We're going to pray for this stuff until it comes to pass. Hey, uh, why don't you open up your Bible to the book of Psalms chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to read three verses here, and then we're going, to, we're going to dive into this. It says this in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They, those who do those previous two things, are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Come on, that's a great promise in Scripture. Here's what I would like to do this morning in the few moments we have together. I want to take that Scripture, and I want to break it down the way that I believe its author intended us for us to break it down. There are three Scriptures and three major concepts, three major thoughts, three ideas that we can apply to our life. And I'll give the, the three thoughts to you up front. I think if we look back at this, we can say the author wants us to know what not to do, what to do, and the byproduct of doing those things. What not to do, what to do, and the byproduct of doing the right thing, I should say. And with each of those thoughts, I'm going to ask you at the end of each one of these sections a provoking question that I want you to wrestle with this morning before you leave this place. And I believe that the Holy Spirit can change our hearts before we go. Are you up for that? Someone give me a decent amen on a Sunday morning. All right. What not to do. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what he says. Blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. Blessed are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. I'm just going to dive into that first part of the sentence because after studying this all week, here's what I'm determined to believe. These are a subsequent downward spiral, meaning that one of these things happens sequentially. If you, if you don't get the first one right, then you're going to end up in the second stage. If you don't get the second one right, you're going to end up in the third stage. But if we can deal with the first one, we don't have to mess with the other two. So we're just going to talk about how to not follow the advice of the wicked. Let me ask you this morning, um, how many of you have ever been given some wicked or some bad advice before? There's a lot of it out there in the world. Um, I made the mistake this week of shooting out an uh, Instagram message to ask, how many of you have ever been given some bad advice? Share it with me because I'm going to share it with the people on Sunday. And it turns out there's a lot of really dumb people out there that give really bad advice, okay? Uh, some people should never be allowed to give advice to humanity, period. And I'm really sorry for the friends and family members that gave you the advice that they gave you. But I thought it would be fun and amusing for all of us if I could share the top 12 responses I got from people's Instagram responses. Um, and I say 12 because 10 was not enough. There was just too many good ones for me to, to put in here. So see if any of these resonate with you. Bad advice. Uh, just put it on the credit card. It's like free money. The sooner you procrastinate, the more time you'll have to get it done. <laughs> Someone's like, I'm taking that home with me. No, you should not. Uh, if you're afraid of public speaking, just picture everyone in the audience naked. <laughs> I've never done that, just to be clear right now. Okay. Um, here's, some, here's some more serious ones, but again, bad advice. After a breakup, just sleep with someone else and it will help you get over him. Don't marry him. He works for a church. Uh, that was David's wife, Alicia. Uh, and they're still married, doing fine. Sorry, mom. Uh, next one. 
Who cares if you're attracted to him? He has money. Marry him anyway. See how the laughs are like diminishing as he's getting a little more serious? Yeah. I thought this was funny. It's simple. This tastes weird. Try it. Okay, one of my wife's best friends said her this one, and the, the imagery is just terrible. Urine will help you clear up your acne. <laughs> Someone actually tried that. Uh, bad advice. Cats make great pets. Bad advice. Every pizza can be a personal pizza, if you just try hard enough and believe in yourself. <laughs> I loved that one. This one's a little too close to home for me. Uh, Bitcoin is the wave of the future. Buy as much of it as you can now before it's too late. Yeah. Worst advice I got all day long, number 12 here. Check out this new album by Nickelback. All right. <laughs> bad advice, bad advice. I think that's all. Yeah, that's all. Okay, so there's a lot of really bad advice out there. Uh, there's a lot of really bad advice, whether it's the selection of your pet or the kind of music you listen to or things that are more serious, the way we spend our money, the debt we get into, our sexuality, the way we handle relationships. There's a lot of bad advice out there. And you've probably noticed this by now, but the world you, you live in has a pattern of following its own bad advice. This world, the, the broken world that we find ourselves in, is constantly living by its own standards, its own pattern. And traditionally, those patterns are bad advice. It's a bad road that none of us want to end up on, but that's just what everybody does. And so we all seem to follow, by default, being in this world, bad advice. Bad advice about how we should handle our marriages, and bad advice of whether we should leave our marriages, and bad advice of how we handle our finances. There's a whole lot of bad advice out there. And if we're not careful, we can get caught living by the patterns and the advice of this world. But let me remind you today, as it says in scripture, that you have been called to live differently as believers. We have not been called to go with the flow and be like the, the rest of the fish in the school that just gets swept into where the rest of the world is going. In fact, it says in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You are supposed to think differently and live differently than the rest of the world. There is something called the kingdom of God. And if you have said yes to Jesus, you are now a member. You are a part of the kingdom of God. Welcome to the society of the kingdom of God. And as citizens of the kingdom, we are called to live a little bit differently than everybody else. In fact, it's usually counterintuitive. It's countercultural. It doesn't make sense. In the kingdom, in order to advance and in order to lead, you have to learn how to serve people. In the kingdom, in order to receive, you have to begin to give. In the kingdom, if you really want to find your purpose and lay hold of what God has called you to do, then it's found in losing your life, not chasing after your own dreams or your own pursuits, but submitting every one of those things to the lordship of Jesus and saying, I don't have a plan for my future that isn't you. I don't have my own design that isn't you. I lay it all at your feet and whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do from this point forward. The kingdom operates differently than the rest of the world. And... and the determining factor as to whether or not we're walking in the ways of the kingdom or the ways of the world is simply found in whose voice you're listening to. What advice are you taking? Are you living by the standards, patterns, and the voice of the world, 
Or is the voice of God truly guiding your steps, guiding your career path, guiding the way we're raising our children, guiding the way we do life? Let me ask it like this, and here's the provoking question I want you to wrestle with. Who are you hearing? Whose voice is loudest in your life? And let me remind you, you cannot hear two voices at the same time. You can't heed the advice of the world and the advice of God simultaneously. It's impossible. I find it interesting that the author here in Psalm chapter one, he starts out the whole passage by saying, blessed is the person who does not do something. I mean, in normal terms, if I was going to tell you how to live a blessed life, I would say blessed is the person who, and then I would fill in the blank with some things you're supposed to do. I wouldn't start off by saying blessed is a person who doesn't do some stuff. I think that that pattern is intentional and I think the author intended it because so often what I see people do and even in my own life I've found that I try to, to, to dance over the line of the world and the things of God. I want the blessings of God but I want to sometimes live by the standards of the world at the same time. I, I want everything that God has to offer me but I still got this other nagging voice that I seem to heed on occasion. We've seen this so many times before. People, Jesus, thank you so much. And I, I want to live in your blessing. I thank you for the forgiveness and I want the salvation. And I'll take the future and the plan and the blessing. Um, I'm going to hold off on the purity, um, on the giving, on the honoring those that are in authority that I don't agree with. Uh, I'm going to set those things aside and take a hall pass. I just kind of take the good stuff without the bad. No, it's impossible. Blessing is not just found in what we do, it is also found in what we refuse to do. He's saying, blessed is the person who doesn't do these things. Listen, if you are the kind of person today who is trying to juggle the world and the voice of God at the same time, let me heed, issue you a warning this morning. Here's what it says in, in James chapter one. It says, uh, such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world and they are unstable in everything they do. We can't have the blessing of God and the voice of the world at the same time. It doesn't work like that. We have to be willing to set aside the world's voice and say, I'm only listening for the voice of Jesus. Who are you hearing this morning? Because who you hear will determine your direction. So how do we hear the right voice? Well, the second thought that I think the author wants us to see is what we should do, what to do. Psalms chapter one, verse two. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Now that word law of the Lord in Hebrew is the word Torah, and it means the written word of God. It is the B-I-B-L-E, it's your Bible. And what he's saying here is if we will meditate on the written word of God, if we love the word and we will meditate on it, then we will receive the blessing from God, the blessing that is promised at the beginning of this scripture. Now, I understand that the second I say the word meditate, immediately people's minds go to some weird places, right? <laughs> like meditation has gotten kind of a weird rap, especially among church people. You're like, we just don't do that. That's yoga. That's not what we do in the church. Because the second I, I say meditate, if I, if I was to say to you, hey, why don't you come to my house after church today and we'll meditate together? First of all, I would never say that because that's really weird. <laughs> but like, if I said that, you would have an image in your mind. You're like, okay. There's a bunch of people sitting around in yoga pants. Um, there's an oil diffuser with breathe in the corner. And Enya is playing over the speakers. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of people sitting there praying mantis style. Like, hum, breathe in the good energy, breathe out the bad. 
Like, that's what we see when we, when we think meditation. But that's not what the biblical word meditate means. Thank God. I don't even own yoga pants. Uh, the word meditate in the Bible in Hebrew is the word haggah. And here's what it means. It means to mutter, to utter, or to speak. It doesn't mean that you just sit around and empty your mind of everything and, you know, think about God's word. It actually means to speak out the written word of God. It is not a mindless contemplation. Come on, this is a Baptist statement right here. It is a verbal declaration. It is saying what God says about your situation and about your world and about your life. It is speaking out the word of God. In other words, you have to know what the word of God says about your situation. Because the word of God has the ability, according to this scripture, to shift some things. If you feel like you're living underneath a curse, well, then the blessing of God is found in letting something out of your mouth that you found in his word and declaring, no, I'm not under a curse. I'm not under the enemy's ploy. I'm not living this way any longer. I am blessed. I am highly favored. I am a chosen generation. I'm a royal priesthood. God wove me together in my mother's womb. He's got a plan for me. It is found in making a verbal declaration. We say this all the time around here at the Father's house. Words are powerful. They have the ability to shift things in your life. The most creative force on the planet is in fact the word of God. The same way that God spoke at the beginning of time and his words caused things to come and take place, when you begin to align your declaration with his word, it can create realities in your world that do not exist. It can create things that you wish you would see, but if you stay silent, they will never come to pass. He has given you the same creative power with your words, not your words, with his word, his word on your lips. Let let, let me remind you today, the blessing is not found in owning one of these things, (laughs) okay? Just because you have a Bible at your house does not mean that your household is blessed. This does you no good sitting on your desktop or on your dresser collecting dust. This is not garlic to a vampire. It does not scare the devil away from your home, okay? In fact, he knows the word of God, according to the book of James. He can declare it the same way you can. But when you get this word off of its pages and onto your lips, you can begin to change the atmosphere, change the realities that you're seeing. Why? Because the world you live in, it has a voice. And it's talking to you every single day. And every day it is trying to talk you into some things. It's trying to talk you into fear. It's trying to talk you into discouragement. It's trying to talk you into pointless living. It's trying to talk you into sin. And we are not called to be some kind of spiritual toddler where we put our fingers in our ears and be like, I'm not hearing you, I'm not hearing you, I'm not hearing you. No, we've been called to talk back to the world and to speak what the word of God has to say over the world. And when the world is coming at us and lying to us, we can say, you know what? Although things don't look good, I know that God has the ability to take everything the intent- enemy intended for harm and turn it for my good. And I know he's coming against me, but no weapon fashioned against me is going to prosper. We can declare the promises. Of- I'm preaching really, really good right now. We can declare the promises of his word over your life and see those things come to pass. That is the power of God's word. So follow-up question. Not just who are you hearing, what are you saying? What are you saying about your situation right now? What are you speaking out over your children right now? 
What are you speaking out over your employment status right now? This is not just some name it, claim it, blab it, grab it kind of theology. This is the word of God. He says, I've given you my word to make some declarations over your life. I, I don't want you to be so caught up in the lies of the world that you begin echoing what it's saying about your life. I want you to say what the word of God has to say over your life. My, my daughters are, um, they're eight and six. And uh, as their father, it is my responsibility to make sure that they know the word of God. And even at eight and six years old, uh, we tell our daughters every morning to read the Bible, to pray, and then come out and tell us what it is that, the, that God was saying to them while they were reading their Bible. And it's a good discipline. I've tried to, to instill in them at a very young age. And at 10 years old and at eight years old, excuse me, at eight years old and six years old, I promise I know how old my kids are, um, I, we've asked them to memorize 10 scriptures so far. And uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I sit down with them and, and they tell me their, their Bible verses. And I have specifically chosen Bible verses for them to memorize that will address the lies of the enemy that they, they're going to face as women in this world. I know that there are going to be some moments where they're afraid. And so they know 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. I know that they're going to face discouragement sometimes and they're going to feel like they've failed. So they know Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I understand that they're gonna find themselves ashamed on occasion of their faith and they're gonna, they're gonna wonder whether or not they can share about what they believe in with people who may not believe what they believe. And so they've memorized Romans chapter one, verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, first the Jew and then the Gentile. And I know that someday I'm gonna get a knock on my door from some pimple-faced boy wearing Crocs trying to take my daughter out on a date. And I know that because of the world he lives in and because my daughters are beautiful, he's gonna to try to push the envelope with her purity. And so I've taught her, get behind me, Satan. No, I haven't taught her that one. No. I've, taught her, <laughs> I've taught her Psalms chapter 119, verses nine and 11. How can a young girl keep herself pure? By living according to the word of God. I have hidden the word in my heart so that I might not sin against God. I know what lies they're going to face, and so I have equipped them with the truth so that they can combat the lies and the voice of the culture they find themselves in. Have you equipped yourself in such a way? Do you know what God's word says over your situation? Has it made it off the leather-bound pages and into your declaration? Or are we just echoing what the world is saying over our lives? I submit to you, there is a blessing that you may not have laid hold of yet on the other side of hiding God's word inside of you so that you can declare it, meditate, mutter it, speak it out over your situation. Just this last week, I didn't even intend on sharing this, but I put this to the test. I, was, um, I have a Bible reading plan that uh, me and a bunch of guys read every single day and we comment back and forth with each other. And uh, this week in studying the scripture and learning about meditation and uttering and speaking out God's word, I said, what if I just didn't read it? What if I actually read it out loud like I was in elementary school all over again? And I just, instead of just looking at it and reading it in my head, I began to read the word of God aloud in my office. I'm telling you, it was powerful. And I can't explain it. I can't articulate it to you. I couldn't tell you why other than there's a promise locked up in this scripture for all of us. If we will speak out his word, it will change the atmosphere of a home. It will change the atmosphere of a workplace. It can change the atmosphere of a city if a group of people begin to speak out the word of God over their situations. So what are you saying today? Do you have the right vocabulary to adjust whatever situation you find yourself in? 
So he says, here's what you shouldn't do. Don't follow the advice of the wicked. Here's what you should do. Speak out the word of God. And here's what happens if you do these things. The byproduct, Psalm chapter one, verse three. They, those who have done these two things, they are like trees that are planted along a riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. Come on, how many wanna prosper in everything you do? Everything you put your hands to, it's like the grace of God is behind you. It's like God himself is, is blessing everything you set your hands to. By the way, let me define the word blessing as well, because I think that's a word that gets tossed around and it's lost some of its potency. Like, hashtag blessed. Like, that's, that's not what we're talking about. The blessing of God is not just like, you know, oh, I got my fingernails done, hashtag blessed. You know, that's, that's not what we're... No, the blessing of God means the favor of God. It means supernatural healing, health for your body, financial provision, whole marriage, influence, purpose, destiny. It's the full encompassing nature. It's like the God factor in your life. That's what the blessing of God looks like. I want to prosper in all I do. I want the blessing of God. I need the blessing of God on my life. I need the blessing of God on my parenting. I need the blessing of God on my marriage. I need the blessing of God on our church. And he says that if we'll do these things, if we'll refuse to buy into the advice of the wicked and we will speak out the word of God, then we become like these trees that are planted beside streams. Their roots go down deep and their leaves never wither. They bear fruit in every season and they, 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 they prosper in all they do. Let, let, me, let me point out what might seem obvious, but just in case it isn't, that kind of tree does not exist in the natural there is no such thing as a tree that produces fruit in every single season. Now, maybe there are trees that exist in a certain climate, and so they produce fruit year-round because the climate never changes, but you can't take that same tree and put it in a snowstorm or put it in a tornado or put it in whatever season you want to put it in and still see it survive and thrive and continue to bear fruit. Yet God says you have the ability to do something that is contrary to nature, Contrary to what we would even witness in our natural world. He said, you can be like a tree that regardless of the storm or the snow or the blistering heat or whatever season it finds itself in, it can continue to bear fruit. It can prosper in every single season. Nature says that you cannot prosper when you've got a terminal diagnosis but a tree that's planted beside the source and is meditating and speaking out the word of God can find a way to bear fruit even when the diagnosis doesn't look good. Nature says that there is no joy in a time of loss, but when you're planted beside Jesus and your roots are deep down into his word and you're declaring Isaiah 61 over your life that no, even though I've got uh, ashes right now, I'm gonna get beauty and there's gonna be joy for my morning and you declare those things out, suddenly uh, something that is contrary to nature takes place. It doesn't make sense why you have joy, but you can have joy in a situation that nobody else would seem to find joy in. Nature says one thing, but God says something else over your life. And here's why. If you have planted your life and built it upon the promises of God's word, then you realize if you've read your Bible for any length of time by now, that although the situation might not look good, the enemy doesn't get the final say. That there is a God who still gets to speak over your situation. And until he says it's done, it's not done. He gets the final word over it. 
I don't know what situation you find yourself in today. Maybe you're in a great season of life or maybe you're in a tough season of life. But when you build your life on the word of God, bad news, unemployment, doesn't matter. I am, I am stationed here. I am fixed here. I am not gonna be moved. And I'm gonna stand here until I see God's promise come and be fulfilled over my life. I am still standing here. So my last question to you then this morning is this. Where are you standing? Who are you hearing? What are you saying? Where are you standing today? Are you standing on some promises that you haven't seen fulfilled yet? Are you standing until God comes through in that situation? Or have you given up, waving the, waved the white flag and said, it's probably not gonna happen. It's time to put those roots back down into God's word and declare what it says over you. A couple of years ago, um, I read a book and uh, the only book I've ever read. No, <laughs> a couple of years ago, I read a book and um, the book's on the subject of prayer. But as I was preparing for the sermon, I, I was thinking about a story and I highly recommend the book if anyone hasn't read it in here. It's called The Circle Maker by a guy named Mark Batterson. Uh, one of the most powerful books on cultivating a thriving prayer life. Um, and as I was thinking about standing still and just refusing to be moved until you see God do something, um, I was reminded of the opening story in this book. And I wanted to read it to you briefly about a guy named Honey, uh, who they say was sort of the, the legend of the circle maker, which is where he got the title for this book. And as I say this, the band, you guys can come up. We're going to close here in just a second. But here's what he says. He says, it was the first century BC and a devastating drought threatened to destroy a generation, the generation before Jesus. The last of the Jewish prophets had died off nearly four centuries before. Miracles were such a distant memory that they seemed like a false memory and God was nowhere to be heard. But there was one man, an eccentric sage, who lived outside the walls of Jerusalem, who dared to pray anyway. His name was Honi. And even the people could no longer hear God, even though the people could no longer hear God, he believed that God could still hear him. When rain is plentiful, it's an afterthought. During a drought, it's the only thought. And Honi was their only hope. Famous for his ability to pray prayers that would shift things and bring rain, it was on this day, the day, that Honey would earn his moniker. With a six-foot staff in hand, Honey began to turn like a math compass. His circular movement was rhythmic and methodical. 90 degrees, 180 degrees, 270 degrees, 360 degrees. He never looked up as the crowd looked on. And after what seemed like hours, but had only been a few seconds, Honey stood inside a circle that he had drawn. Lord of the universe, he said, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. Now send the rain. The story would go on to tell that after a drought, God sent rain that day. And even as he sent rain, Honey prayed, not for this kind of rain have I prayed, but the rain of your blessing, the rain that is undeniable, God, that you have sent something to your people to prove to them that you love them, you're gonna take care of them, that this is not the end, the circle maker. Let me ask you this morning, what circle are you standing in? Where have you drawn a circle and said, 
God, I'm not gonna move until this prayer is answered. I'm not gonna be shaken by what I see. I'm not gonna be tossed to and fro. No, I am rooted in the promises of God and I shall not be moved. Let me tell you about a few circles I'm standing in today. I'm standing in a circle for some people in our church who have heard testimonies of God opening up the womb and providing children to those who've been praying, but they're still believing for themselves because they haven't seen that promise come to pass yet. So every morning I stand in a circle for a couple here that's believing that God is gonna give them a child. I'm standing in a circle for a family in our church that has been praying for over a year that God would open up the right job for them so that they could move closer to the city and be a part of what God is doing in this building every single Sunday morning. Every morning I stand in that circle and I declare, God, they've been faithful. I pray your faithfulness over them today. I'm standing in a circle for my daughter who has a blood disorder that has yet to be healed that causes her spleen to be enlarged and potentially sickness to come on later on in life. And I refuse to believe that that curse is her lot in life. I believe that she's gonna be healed and I'm standing in that circle. But let me tell you about a circle I'm standing in that affects every single person in this room. When we first set out to start this church and we began to tell people that we were planting a church in San Francisco, as the verse today would suggest, we got a lot of bad advice. A lot of dumb people that wanted to speak into what was going to happen if we tried to start a church in San Francisco. Bad advice, wicked advice like, oh, that's just a, a graveyard for churches. It's a waste of your time. Find someplace a little different to plant a church. You guys are great leaders. You could plant a church somewhere else, but San Francisco is tough ground. I, I don't know if you should rent a building that big because I don't, I don't see God filling it anytime soon. That's probably a waste of money. Hey, there's churches that have been there for years and You'd be lucky if you end up with 100 people sitting in the room on a Sunday morning. Just, just don't get your hopes up too much. A whole lot of really bad advice. Oh, that's, that city's gone. It's on its way to hell in a handbasket. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. But I knew in my heart of hearts that that's not what God was saying over our city. That that's not what God was saying over this building and over this region and over this area. And I knew I needed some, some way to articulate that. And I remember one morning I was sitting in our living room and I was reading my Bible and Isaiah 62, which has since become kind of the theme verse for our church, was, was in the reading that morning. And I began to meditate. I began to utter and mutter and speak out a promise that Isaiah writes in chapter 62, verse two. He says, the nations will see your righteousness. World leaders will be blinded by your glory and you will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. The Lord will hold you in his hand for all to see a splendid crown in the hand of God. Never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and he will claim you as his bride. Let me tell you about a circle I'm standing in today. I know it might be a, a big dream, but I believe it is the heart of God. I am standing in a circle on that scripture. I believe that God has called our church and many other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches in our city to go about the process of redefining the reputation of San Francisco. That there will be a day when people from outside San Francisco don't say, that's the forsaken city, that's a desolate place, they don't want anything to do with God, but they will say, no, that is a favored city. That is the righteousness of Christ Jesus. That is the delight of the Lord's heart. That is the place that he has caused his presence to manifest in such a way where hundreds and thousands of people are going to be brought into the house of God and their lives are going to
restored. And we are standing on that promise until we see it come to pass. Revival is still a promise for this city. I'm standing in that circle. And I'll die standing in that circle. I don't care because I believe it is his heart for our city. Who are you hearing? What are you saying? And where are you standing today? I challenge you, draw some circles. Refuse to quit praying until you see the promises of God come to pass. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.